the shops are back open and that means if you really want to stand in a queue for Primark at half past four in the morning, now you can. But the wait for restaurants goes on. 2020 is definitely not the year to branch out and open your first solo venture. This week's guest is a man who planned to do just that, but this is the year for rescheduling, as we're about to find out. This is Source Material. Welcome along to Source Material. We're back in the second city this week, speaking to a man with an impressive CV, but as we mentioned, now looking to go it alone and in doing so add to Birmingham's growing fine dining scene. Hello, Tom Shepherd. Hello, how are you doing? I'm all right, thanks. How are you? The, the world is getting slowly back to normal. The football's almost back, which I guess means, I don't know whether that's a good thing or a bad thing from an Aston Villa fan's perspective, but hospitality seems to be the one thing that, that's still catching up a little bit and that's I guess understandable. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'll, I'll go to your first point with the football. Obviously it was a strange one with the family because I remember saying to them that I sort of questioned myself, am I missing it? And I, I didn't know because it's, it's a bit weird. It's sort of, I mean, it's completely taken away from everybody, not just yourself. You know, you've got, you've got nothing to miss in essence. Uh, but then as soon as we started uh, hearing about coming back then, yeah, even a Villa fan, I'm still super excited to, uh, to, get, to get watching the football again, um, even, if it is, uh, if it does, even if the season doesn't end too well. But no, I'm really excited to, to sort of get, get my teeth into some football again, for sure. But as more important things, because there's definitely more important things in football, for the hospitality industry, uh, definitely, I think it will, it's definitely one of those, along with the sort of the, the gymnasiums and, and things like that, I think it's one of the, the later ones to, to ever get a, the, all the restrictions lifted, if any, to start off with. And uh, yeah, it hits us hard with the first to close and then, and then probably going to be the last to open fully. So um, yeah, it, it's hard, but I think, you know, it, it shows the strength of this industry, how many restaurants and individuals have, have, have enabled themselves to adapt in this time. And, uh, and yeah, you know, we, we will get back to, to, a, to a normal order in at some point. It's just ensuring that we get there safely um, and as efficiently as possible. And that's it, basically. How many times then over the last few months have you sort of thought or woken up at night, thought, why me? Why, when I choose to open my own restaurant to go uh-huh. it alone, do we have to be hit by this global pandemic? 100%. But, but, you know, as every single person said, there's always either someone in the same boat, different boat, worse boat, whatever it may be. So for me, it's, I'm a sort of character. I don't really dwell on, on things too much, actually. Uh, I just try and just, just make the best of that situation. Uh, I feel like I've done that. Uh, yes, my hand has been forced, but no, you're right. You know, I did sort of think, you know, I mean, I've, I've had my, you know, I've had my investor pull out completely uh, at the start of the lockdown. He just said, listen, I've got a cracking gentleman called Mark Reed, and he says, listen, Tom, I, I just, I just, I need to look after my own companies. And, and, and this, obviously, a new one is the last thing on my list. I don't want to you know, give you false hope. And I expected that, expected that meeting without a doubt, but, you know, it's still, it's still pretty, pretty awful when you have to sit through it. A meeting like that and, and just sort of you know when we, we almost got the ducks lined up as well but say we almost we did we got every duck lined up there the name the actual we had the design company in full in full tech we had the kitchen all completely designed and ready to go as well and we just literally just needed to make that first sort of payment it, it will happen uh there's no two ways about it i will get the right investment that's needed for that uh, you know I've, i do have people interested in doing that so it's going to happen uh, but it will always be on the right terms. And, and, and what I've found recently uh, with what we're doing, it's, it's taken up all my focus, which is, which is a good thing. So, 
What does that mean then in terms of the opening day? Because I know it was sort of planned for, for late 2020. So yeah. do you have a, a date in mind or is it just it could be any time? Listen, I, it, yeah, I think it changes. Uh, I think uh, if you would have asked me that question last week, I would have been hopeful of a, of a sort of a Christmas, maybe early, early 2021 opening. Uh, now it's, I think also that the actual the actual desire shifts uh, or the necessity shifts, as I say, in essence, if I just want, I just want a restaurant open, you know, there's, uh, I, I was quite a driven, uh, driven sort of passionate chef who, who always wanted to do things quickly. You know, I wanted to, I wanted to do this under 30 and this under 30, but, you know, I've got, I've got, I've got an amazing family and an amazing little girl, and, and to be honest, that's my only focus now. So, regardless of when, when, when the restaurant opens, it, it will open when it opens, and it will, it will only open at the right time. I don't want to force an opening. I don't want to pressure on an opening. I want to ensure that, uh, you know, our guests are comfortable and, and the restaurant opens with, 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 the, with the full capacity it enables itself to do anything but that. It, it won't feel right. Um, so, if I can try and just sort of, yeah, sort of balance myself until, until that day open, until that day happens and that, that, that's fine. So in answer to your question, I, there isn't there isn't really a date. I'll, I'll be hopeful for early 2021 still. Um, I think, you know, certain trades have been allowed to go back and especially the build trade has. So I think actually fitting the restaurant won't be won't be an issue, especially time-wise. I think that'll be massively decreased from the, I think it was a 10-month plan. I think it'll be quite easily achievable in six to seven months now, quite easily. So, you know, we, we, we've definitely got, we're still in that cusp of, of a uh, potential a potential time period, but as as you've said, you know, as, as I've said, it, it's important for me that um, uh, that we open in the right in the right manner, uh, and the restrictions are completely lifted on the hospitality industry because I can honestly say I won't be opening until that happens. That's for sure. Now, from a Villa fans' perspective, often we, what we need to do is take positives where there aren't really any there. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. I guess I guess the good thing is that you must have thought, well, okay, everyone's probably told me at some point whilst I've had this plan or this dream of opening up my own place, it's not easy, it's difficult, there are going to be bumps in the road. You probably had the biggest bump you could possibly think about having right at the start and, and hopefully it might, it might get a little bit easier from, I don't know, when it, whenever it opens onwards. I totally agree, yeah. I think, yeah, and you're right, it's, it's, it's really funny you speak to the older sort of characters. I mean, even Adam, you know, Adam Stokes, I remember him uh, when I first started there, I said there, uh, because he, he literally handed the whole entire kitchen over to me, and just, he, he really gave an impression like he was, you know, he's sort of a, a pressure off his shoulders had been lifted. I was wanting to take that anyway. I said, "You, know, you got any aspirations to open restaurants?" I said, "Oh God, no! Yeah, I'm happy with this one. And, you know, it, it takes enough doing a 60 seater restaurant, you know, from a day to day basis." But you know, a year, a year later, they opened the Boyster Club. Do you know what I mean? It was, I was just like, "Why do you do it?" He said, "It's not me. It's the missus." You know, it's, <laughs> it's mental. He was like, "I'm never going to do it again. I'm never going to do it again." And you know, then he did that, and he got that sort of buzz and excitement back. And he did go. I think he did go pretty smoothly. I was involved a bit to a certain extent. Obviously, I had to run Adams, but I was involved with that to an extent. Was really exciting, but that 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 went pretty well. You know, it went pretty smooth. But yeah, for for a pandemic to uh, to just rip you rip you rip your dreams apart, literally within within starting point. Is uh, yeah, it's quite hard. But as I said, you know, it's it is what it is. It's affected everybody in all different ways. And I think, given one given one side of things, which is a brutal thing to say, but it's it's very honest. And I know a lot of people I saw Paul Ainsworth I think wrote something a few weeks ago, and Paul Foster has as well. I think it will determine the sort of the strong sort of restaurants that are left in the trade. I think I think unfortunately, I think the weaker ones who are probably I don't like to say this, but almost toying at the idea of owning a restaurant or winning a restaurant, I think they will, they will unfortunately fall 
and on the wayside. So and that's no fault of their own in, in retrospective. Without the pandemic, they'll still be running day to day now. But I do feel that it will do that. And, you know, I would have been one of them without a shadow of a doubt. I wouldn't have been able to survive if I'd have opened at all. So, you know, I'm thankful for that. Uh, but equally, as I said, that gives me more drive to ensure that we open when, 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 when the restrictions are lifted and we're able to uh, focus on what we, what we originally wanted to focus on before the pandemic. We're going to talk about some of the great chefs that you've worked with later. So obviously for a lot of, of chefs, you could, have, you could have stayed in that groove of, of working yeah. with great people. So what were the main motivations for doing it yourself? I, th- I think that the main, honestly, the main motivation was that you will never be able to completely express yourself until you're going completely alone. You always, even with Adam, was so relaxed around me. It was just a case of I still had to cater. The restaurant was a 60-seater restaurant, which I didn't really, I never wanted myself to, to do, obviously, in the future, or certainly as my first restaurant. I always felt that my, the, the, my product and the food was slightly jeopardised by the number of customers we were doing. So I could never... In what, in what way? It was there's certain... Listen, when, when you're doing, you know, on, on a Friday and Saturday, we were doing anything between 110 to 120 covers. You can't start doing things like, you know, uh, cuttlefish tagliatelle and, and, you know, and, 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 and pom soufflés, things like that, which, you know, we, we've got, we've got P&L sheet, we've got to keep the, the, the team tight, we've got to keep the team, you know, right in, 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 in the place sort of making money because that's what business is about. And uh, so the restrictions were the fact that there's only so much we can do, you know, doing 120 people every day or Friday and Saturday. It's a real, real big one. So some of the sort of extravagant techniques or or, or elements of dishes that I would like to have done or I know that I can do, weren't able to do that because the numbers just didn't suit it. We just couldn't do it. As simple as that. Then also, which I've learned massively, not more so than being a head chef of a team, is you are only as good as your weakest chef, and 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 you hear that you hear that you hear that sort of term being banded around all over. But when you're commie, demi, chef de part, even a sous chef, you don't quite understand what that means because even as a sous chef, even with, with you know the Latin with Widner or Sats as the development chef, I was still under someone else's order, so I didn't have that pressure of, of needing to run a team. When I was at Adams running a team, you know you had some superstars that you felt were superstars. And then you had some people and you're just whipping your hair out. And it was like, well, I can't, I can't push the product anymore because, yeah, uh, you know, Luke might be able to do it, but Alex can't. So it's like there's no point doing it just because Luke can do it. I need to, need to ensure the whole team does it. So certain aspects here, you know, really put that sort of focus into people and really try to push them and teach them and nurture them into being able to do it. But some, some products that they, they'll never get um, or not, not to the, not to the, that's the level that you require them. And, and that, was the, that was the hardest thing for me. You know, I was taking over a Michelin star restaurant. The pressures were there already to, to ensure that we at least obtain it. The dream was always to, to get a second. And, uh, but you, you, you may be able to do that alone, but you know, when you've got 120 covers on a Friday, Saturday, you know, and you've got 11 chefs downstairs or, or, or you're wanting them to perform at the same level as yourself, it's bloody difficult. And that was the hardest thing. So, for me, it just got on top of me, and I thought, you know what, I, this isn't me anymore. I don't, I don't, I don't want to put with, with that guy in the corner yeah, producing shit. I've, I've had enough, and that was it. So I just literally said to Adam, with all due respect, Dad, I'm, I'm ready to do my own products. I've had enough of doing these products. I want to do my own product, and um, and that and that's it. And it was a case of it was a very detailed. You know, it wasn't just overnight. I think I decided in July. I had my notice until late August, early September. 
I left in December and it was it was the dream. And the more the more we focused on it, the more I saw the the detail and the design and the name and the focus and the, the food behind it. I thought, no, this is me. You know, this is this is my product. This it needs to be it needs to be produced in my own place, not in somebody else's. And, and that, that that's basically the reason behind it. Tell me then in 20 seconds what Tom Shepherd's food is. Simple. Tom Shepherd's food is a modern interpretation of classic flavour combinations. It's as simple as that. I focus on the classic food that works well, but I'll do a real modern, it's a modern twist on, on, on delivery, on, on, cook, on cooking techniques, uh, and, and there's produce in general, just a, just a real modern interpretation of, of, of classic cookery and, uh, and combinations. That's decent. I reckon you probably did that with a couple of seconds to spare as well, there, Chief. Uh, give me a modern interpretation then on a classic, which I believe is one of your favourites. What's a modern interpretation on bangers and mash? Oh, mate. <laughs> <laughs> well, bangers, this is weird because this is mad. This is actually how you've said bangers. I don't know how you, how you, I don't know how you know that unless it's just a potluck guest, but. Uh, I've read the odd previous interview you've done. I do, I do a modicum of research to make me seem vaguely intelligent. No, that's it. Well, you've, you've nailed that because that's, and there's a story, a very small story, which again, I can definitely do this in 20 seconds. But I had this questionnaire through from a, from a magazine company, a magazine, and uh, I think it was Birmingham Living, and it's a small local one. But they uh, asked me loads of questions. It was a QA with T T Tom Shepherd. They said, What was your favourite food as a kid? And I always remember, I used to love this tin ravioli. And I know it's mental. Oh, oh mate, sorry, mean. mate. I mean, it must have been rancid then as well. You know, I think we were talking sort of 25 years ago, you know. But I always, I thought, is it that? I, was, I said, uh, and then Charlie tonight, she was my mum. Uh, your mum always said, you like bangers and mash. I said, oh, to be fair, I think I did actually. So I phoned her up and I said, mum, without thinking, to answer this question, what was my favourite meal as a kid? Bangers and mash. I used to have it like two or three times a week. I was like, you're joking. And she was like, yeah, two or three times a week you would have it. I was like, so, so, so I remember loving it, but I didn't realise I loved it that much. But uh, I don't know, modern interpretation, I don't know. Um, well, it would have to be some sort of, you know, smoked or smoked potato puree, I think, you know, loads of butter and cream with, uh, with, yeah, with maybe, um, I don't know, it's a sausage element. So I don't have a bloody clue, mate. You've got me there, I think. <laughs> A sausage um, dumpling or something like that, and maybe did like an onion consomme. So it was the same take on the, you know, on the gravy point of view. I think, yeah, I think we completely reversed into like an onion consomme with maybe potato and, and sausage dumplings. I think that'd be quite nice. You can you can work on that idea, and then when I come I think, to the I think it's a good idea. I, I, I expect, some links, I expect it? it to have been developed fully. Uh, an easier question then on the subject of bangs and mash. It was one of my favourites when I was at when I was at uni as well, and me and my housemate used to eat all the time. But he would scowl at me because I'd have ketchup on with bangers and mash and gravy. No, you're not impressed, are you? No, I am impressed. Yeah. You do? Good man. Good man. Either ketchup or brown sauce, either or you have to have it, mate, 100%. 100%. I'll, take, I'll take that feedback back to him because I always defend in my corner. Um, you have to. Back, back to the food at, at your restaurant and what it will be then. Again, yeah. reading something you've said before, some people feel that Michelin star restaurants are posh and stuffy environments that only yeah. serve tiny portions of food and you pay a premium for this. I think that is one of the biggest misconceptions about Michelin places yeah. going when I talk to people who, who, who've never been. So yeah. how do you convince people with your place that that won't be the case? I think now you're in a great position because it's, you know, you, through social media, you can really advertise your product through there. 
I think you know chefs now have never been so uh, prominent in 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 this sort of customer's eyes. They they almost go because of the chef actually. So they, you know if they, if they really like the chef's personality, and they'll go because of that. Uh, if the chef's there, they'll go because of that. If they can see the chef, they'll go because of that. So the, the food was once the only reason why people went, but it, it's anything but that to be quite honest. You're absolutely right, uh, and, and we I still got it. Adams actually had um actually had a. Had a a chef's table on, on a Friday night. It was nearer when I first started. And on a Friday and Saturday night, it was a 12 seat chef's table. We used to actually put five tables of two down there. So it was, it was really nice because you got all these customers. And they're all, they're, they're nine times out of 10, all very sort of similarly orientated. We all enjoyed food, etc., which you would obviously hope to. But um, there was one gentleman, he stuck out like a sofa and he came down miserable, really sort of like, didn't want to be there. His, his missus looked like she was sort of, yeah, you had to pull him out type of thing and, you know, and all this. Anyway, I always used to go over to the centre, like a horseshoe, just stand in the centre and go do a little speech every every, every day, every time. Say, well, good evening, guys. Hope you're well. You know, my name's Tom Shepard, I'm the head chef. Um, I hope you're all okay, etc. Uh, please feel free to have a walk around the kitchen if you'd like to. And he sort of, of looked this one towards you. What? Walk around the kitchen? I said, yes, ma'am. I said, please, if you want to keep to the right-hand side, just you can walk all the way up to the back wine room. I said, you can talk to the guys. I mean, can I, can I eat some stuff? Because I mean, the portions are tiny, aren't they? I said, um, <laughs> I said, well, yeah, uh, well, they're not tiny at all, no matter. I said, you know, it's a tasty menu, it's 10 courses. I said, so, you know, they're, they're all going to be main course portions, and we have to eat it. He said, oh, yeah, you know, well, my missus had dragged me out here, you know, it's her birthday. Well, I walked back, and I remember thinking, like, hey, what a twat. Uh, <laughs> see, I thought, you know, it, it's your missus' birthday. At least, just at least, just put a smile on your face. You know, it's her birthday. She's obviously doing something she wants to do. You obviously don't like it. You're making it well aware to everybody, not just her. Anyway, first course went down. It was the scallop dashi course, which is probably my favourite course I've done there, and something I'll definitely take with me. You know, I just watched it come around. He put it in. Bloody hell! He started eating it, and he was like, he could not believe the taste. Mate, two courses in. The second course was a beetroot dish. We had fish. And a vegetarian course, okay. So we had these. That was it. If, any, if you're going to win anyone over, that was not the way I wanted to start. You know what I mean? Just meet, meet, meet with a guy like that. So I walked over and I presented the cod dish, which was the third dish. And he went, Tom, isn't it? I said, Yeah, it is, mate. He said, Honestly, Tom, he said, This is absolutely fantastic. I said, oh, Right. I said, Thank you. So he said, No, honestly, I didn't think the flavour was like this. And I said, Right, I said, okay, he said, I mean, they are small portions, but I mean, what, we've got eight more? I said, yeah, eight more, mate, yeah, he went, bloody hell, he said, that's the, the flavour, I went, oh, and his missus, you know, was smiling from ear to ear, you know, he started drinking then, you know, he was getting really happy, and he started feeling, he's having a chat with the guys, and this guy had gone from this, you know, this, this sort of Scrooge at the start, to this guy who was just, it was promoting fine dining, <laughs> I think that's incredible. And the attitude comes to me, shut my hand, give me his number, give me a call if you need this. I think he was, he was in some sort of um, a signage company. I was like, yeah, if you need a sign, do mate, yeah, give me a call, you know, this. And I, I was like, it's great. That's what a great story. And I think, yeah, the misconception is massively that. And I think equally for the price range as well, I think people are understanding that, you know, we, me, me certainly, I'm speaking to an awful lot, especially Mitching Center. We, 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 we pride ourselves on using the premium ingredients. There is, I think there are, comparisons that you can draw though between that and anything anyone any single person's passion i don't really have a problem with them spending money on so if you love fine dining and like you said it's not just about the food it's about the experience it's about Absolutely. speaking to a chef or a sommelier knows exactly what he's talking about it's like Absolutely. it's like that black t-shirt you're wearing now it, it could be a gucci t-shirt or it could be from top man 
and yeah. you could feel the difference but it, cool. it, it's up to that person and it's the same same with food you can tell the difference that you know a bit of cost <clears throat> that you get at a local chain or just a, a nice local bistro will not be as good as one that you'll get at Adams or, or wherever else absolutely that's, that's exactly what I live by it's as simple as that and you know, and, and, and sometimes chefs will always say, I've heard a lot of chefs over the years say, the price of this has gone up, I'm going, but they won't jeopardise that main product, you know, so the price of beef or turtle, whatever goes up, they won't jeopardise that product, they'll continually buy that product, they'll just have to you know, jeopardise it, they'll just have to change it, the, the, you know, the garnish that goes with it, so if they have to serve it really simply with just a simple sauce, then that will, that will be it, it's as simple as that, it's, it's just focusing on that product, they won't scoop you know, low, low enough to, to get these farmed and, and, and far less superior products. It, it, it's about ensuring that you're using that, those ingredients. And as I said, I think the customers, as you just rightly said, you know, a good analogy with, with, with a T-shirt, it, it's definitely something that you become accustomed to, to, to those sort of products and uh, you don't really want to lower yourself. In that and that's interesting. You're listening to Source Material, available from all major podcast providers. To get in touch, use the hashtag SourceMaterial on social media. So how does it feel preparing to go into the Midlands food sort of bubble? Mm. And I guess now you're a competitor to a lot mm. of guys who you know very well. Yeah, uh, it, it, it's good. Uh, I think that it's it's a different type of it's a different type of, uh, of personnel in Birmingham. They are they're, they're a lot more accommodating. They're a lot more respectful. And I think they're, they're happy to sort of see young people flourish, actually. I think there's a lot of support there, actually. Uh, I mean, my former friend, Stuart Dealey, he's, he's looking at opening, opening for a restaurant um, and he's back, uh, or he's, he's, he's working alongside uh, the owner of, um, you know, the owner of Simpsons, Andreas. And Andreas is called the godfather of the industry, I think. And, you know, he's obviously, uh, he's obviously just giving him, you know, every sort of, every sort of, uh, you know, advice and, 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 and sort of experience that's, that's, that's handed to him. And, uh, and you know, I met with Stu a couple of, you know, a couple of weeks before lockdown. He said, oh, Andreas, I said, mate, if you ever want to chat with him, just, just let him know, he'll you know, pick his brains. And it's there. He wants to see these young people flourish as well. And I think that, that, that works downwards. I think everyone's sort of here. So there's a business and it's competitive, but am I really going to be taking customer? Well, I don't think so. I think, if anything, we're just going to add to it. And I think that's what it's about at the end of the day. And, uh, I said it's not like London when there's a there's a restaurant, a Michelin star restaurant almost every other door. But you know, in here it's, there's, there's there's well there's two there's two actually in the very in the city. There's three on the outskirts, and you know there's Hampton Manor, in Solly Hall, and, and and the cross at Kenilworth, but you know further afield as well. So you know, for me, it's we we we're not we're not we're not too close to each other really. And I think you've I've always wanted to to create a destination restaurant, regardless if it's on the street or in a farm. It doesn't matter. I just want to. I want people to come to me for, for the food, not for the convenience, really. Um, and, and with that, I think wherever your product is and, and wherever you are, and if it's built up or not, I think you'll always be um, you'll always be busy because you've built up with such a good product that people want to drive to and, and, and eat. Let me set you a little bit of a challenge then, because for people who don't know you, you've been part of, of these supper clubs in the Midlands where chefs from various top restaurants in the Midlands come together and they cook one menu, wonders, one course, wonders, whatever. So your fantasy four course menu, you've got a starter, you've got a fish course, a meat course and a dessert. And you've got to pick one Midlands chef to do each of them. Oh, bloody hell. Uh, that's, a, that's a really, that's a fucking hard one, that is. Um, well, I'd like to put you on the spot here, mate. Like no, you, have, you really have to be fair. I think 
Glyn, Glyn is one of my favourites. Uh, well, he was one of my idols growing up. Glyn was at Van Owls, obviously. And obviously, as you know, he's won, you know, he's won obviously two courses at the Great British Menu. It was the Monkfish Masala and I think the 10-10-10 egg, which is the creme brulee within an egg. I've eaten those. I've been to Pernas three times. I've eaten those dishes, I think, on those two occasions when I went there. Uh, and those dishes are phenomenal. I think the Monkfish Masala is, is, is practically one of the best actual fish dishes I've ever eaten. Um, I agree with you on that. So I just I'm, I have to go at number you know there's a fish course without a doubt with Glyn. Glyn's an absolute ball of laughs. He's an absolute legend. Um, so there's no two ways about his his coming. Uh, Not sure about the football team he supports though. Yeah, well you know you can put that aside. Can't <laughs> you? Well he has to, you know what I mean. But um, but I, and, and to be fair for the dessert again that, that creme brulee just just this it is one of the best desserts I've, I've, I've probably especially in the Midlands. So. He's, he's probably going to have to have two there. To be you're not. You're not allowed to have two. You're not allowed. Okay, you're, going well, have to, you're going to have to. Have, you're going with I'll, the I'll fish, Ethan. I'll tell you what. A very close second is quite easy, actually. A very close second was uh, was actually a, a souffle that we had at that had at um, that had at Simpsons. Uh, again, I'm quite classic, really, with that. But I'm, I'm a massive. I'm a massive fan of souffles when they're done properly, and I think Simpsons do pretty much everything properly. If I'm being honest, so. Um, yeah, I, th- I think uh, I think I'll probably have. I think it was a rhubarb soup that I think it was when I had there. It was a white chocolate ice cream. They obviously do at the table. And it was absolutely delicious. Uh, so yeah, I'll probably have Simpsons. I would say Luke, Luke, Luke tipping on desserts. Probably um, yeah, definitely, definitely clean on, uh, definitely clean on um, on fish course. Um, probably Actor. Actor would have to be in there. I mean, he. I've had a chicken jar crazy dish at Ophim last year, and uh, it literally blew, 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 blew my socks off. It was absolutely phenomenal, and he's and he's a very close friend of mine now. Only recently, actually, we've come quite close, and he's a very close friend of mine. And uh, yeah, I think for him, for him, I think it's uh, that's definitely something that I um, that I definitely I definitely enjoyed. Uh, it's to me eating there for sure. Um, and for starter, well, yeah, it's a tough one. Um, to be fair, uh, massive fan of Brad at Carter's. He's just an absolute legend, and obviously, uh, obviously Adams as well. I think I think I'd probably I'd have to go for Adams. I think Adam, obviously Adam Stokes, just because I think you know he's uh, he's he's well and truly took me under his his, his wing when I went there, and he's uh, not a bad lineup actually. To be fair, with having 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 Adam as the starter, and then yeah. Uh, Glyn, Glyn Fish and Actar Main and uh, and Luke as dessert. I think that's a pretty good, uh, pretty good lineup. To be fair, it's a solid quartet, that yeah. And I'll just I'll send this audio on to Brad and to Rob Palmer, and they yeah, can, thanks, uh, mate. They can yeah. take this up with you in their own time. It's meant to be done. It's, it's mad. I mean, I've eaten at Carter's three times, and I've absolutely loved. I loved all the meals there. But um, when I, when I first ate Adams in 2014, I, when the first got started with the January, so they only had the stars sort of three or four months. And I had a venison tartare dish there. It was of orange rind, chocolate, and mushroom, and it was absolutely phenomenal. Um, to be fair, the whole entire meal was pretty phenomenal, actually. But there was a couple of standout dishes. There was a cold pollock dish, which I know doesn't sound amazing, but it was phenomenal because uh, he wrapped it in kombu and, 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 and brined it. And just the flakiness and the, the, the texture of the cooking was phenomenal. And then the venison tartare was something quite incredible, actually. And I just remember eating. I've had a lot of tartars, and it was just something quite unique to him. He hadn't followed a followed a sort of a fashion. Um, you know, that was when I first came aware, really, of, of Adam and Adams. And um, yeah, I definitely have the tartare, I think, as the starter for sure. Um, and uh, and yeah, and, and masala and uh, and jaffrey's and souffle. It's quite strange tasting them, to be fair, and quite Indian. Yeah, it'd be a bit, bit, bit of a bit of a test for the sommelier, I reckon. There, um, yeah, just, just to ch- chuck one more question then into the mix. For that 
I'll give you one more course. You can choose whatever type of course you want, but from any other restaurant in the UK, what, what else would you chuck into that mix? Oh, bloody hell. <laughs> uh, Jesus, God, I've had some fantastic meals. Um, okay, there's, okay there's, one, there's, one, there's one dish. It's not necessarily I'm picking it because, it was, it's, because it's the best dish. I'm picking it because I still, in the UK, I still have, I still think about that dish and how much I was just astonished by how it tasted. And it was actually the first time I went to the Fat Duck, I had a dish which was the poached salmon in licorice with, uh, with vanilla uh, and extra virgin on the oil. And it was like a vanilla mayonnaise, uh, which sounds mental, vanilla mayonnaise, it was poached, poached salmon wrapped in this licorice and it was a pink grapefruit like dressing and then this extra virgin on the ball. I remember just, I remember I'm not, I wasn't a huge, I was only about 23, 24 at the time. And I remember I wasn't a huge fan of, uh, of, of, of that, if I'm being honest, of, of fish at the time, especially licorice isn't really a, a massive fan of licorice. I'm not a massive fan of pink grapefruit. So to be fair, I saw this dish in front of me. I think it had globe artichokes as the garnish, which again, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of them either. So I was like, looked at this dish and I was like, I don't know about this. I just remember eating it. And I remember just thinking to myself and, and just, I was just at the table and I was just like, I was just like this, the balance and the, and the, the textures and the flavours of this dish is literally out of this world. And I just remember just eating it. I was just like, I don't think food gets anything any better than this. And I've never had a dish that's had that same effect on me where I just every mouthful was different, but the same, the same delivery, but then it was different. It was the balance of it, it was just insane. And I'd probably say that was a dish where it really sort of um, for different reasons. It wouldn't be my, it wouldn't be my top five dishes that I would I would sort of you know I'd pick to eat type of thing. But it was certainly it was certainly one of the best dishes that I've eaten in essence of of of, of, a, of a of a response to. Uh, and that would be one that yeah I'll probably choose because of that whole entire how, how it just completely changed my sort of mind set and uh, and, and his angle of food anyway is completely well, he's in a different stratosphere, he's in a different league to anybody I think. Uh, especially in this country, if not the world, actually, and um, yeah, that, that that dish was the whole the whole meal was phenomenal, but that dish was was exceptional. We've spoken about a few of the guys that you really look up to. We've also spoken about your own personal drive and ambition and wanting to do things quickly and under the age yeah. of thirty, yeah. and and therefore it becomes quite obvious that someone like. Gordon Ramsay is actually the ultimate role model for you because that sort of drive and ambition is something that you can really see in him, particularly when yeah. you watch the very early videos of him. Yeah, yeah, it is. He, he just, um, you know, pretty hell, mate. He, he was almost the person who got me into cooking, if I'm being brutally honest. I remember watching like, the, the, the original Ramsay Kitchen Nightmares, you know, when I was sort of 19, 20. I'd, I'd watched the boiling points before that. And yeah, you know, he, uh, the joke, you know, the, the general public will look at him and go, oh, he's so aggressive. He's like, oh, I don't get that. But it's not, it's not aggression towards anyone. It's pure passion. That's all it is. It's passion, drive, sacrifice, determination, desire. It's, it's everything. And that's exactly what he is. He's just, like I mentioned earlier about the you know, only his busy weakest member and stuff. I think he just had that, yeah, okay, now he wouldn't, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't be able to do it. And I, and I agree with that. I think it was extremely aggressive environment. And, a very a very pressurized environment which wouldn't which wouldn't cope in the in this modern time and i agree with that as i said i do but you know he had a way to ensure that that product was the same no matter who was doing it and that's the way he felt it was happening that's how he'd been taught from his previous chefs and 
And that's what that's what Wall he adopted. Bearing in mind he was only sort of 25, 26, 27 when those boiling points started. So he's very young and ambitious and a feisty character. But I just I saw all past that crap of, of, of the bullying and the, and the pressure. I just saw it as, as his person. He was just so motivated and just so you know he had two stars. Then he was so motivated to get three stars. And I just was like, you, know, you, just, you don't see that passion and drive anymore, really, especially to that extent. And um, and shown in that way, which again, I reiterate, it's not right that it was done that way. But from a personal point of view, it was incredible. And I just I just saw somebody in front of me. I just thought I want to emulate that. I really do. I just want to be. I want I want that passion and drive. And I feel like I have. You know, I don't really. I do go about my business in, in quite a sort of focused and very methodical way. And um, you know, I've got certain ways of getting that product to where it needs to be. Um, and, and that's it. And I just, as I said, I just saw in him that something I wanted to be, and he was an idol from then, and he'll continue to be my idol now. And I'd love to meet him one day. You know, it's a lot of people have, and uh, you know, a lot of my friends have, and, and associates have, and some of my friends have worked for him and, and see him you know, once or twice a year in his restaurant. But uh, you know, he's an LA boy now. But he, uh, but no, it's uh, I'd love to be able to cook for him one day. You know, just around, and hopefully he catches an eye one day in my restaurant and pops in for. Well, he can come in for a cup of tea if he wants to. Whatever the hell he wants. So, <laughs> Better be a good one. I think it'd be a, yeah, it'd be a proper chin to the floor. I think to be fair with him, I think there's there's a lot of people out there. You know, I can meet footballers. I can meet Jack Grealish and my batting eyelid, and I see footballers come into the restaurants and whatnot. You know, Mila Eden that used to come in two or three times. You know, um, well, I say a lot more than about six times. And I was there actually Adam for two or three times a year. His family is a cracking guy, but you just realise they're normal people and. But I think Ramsey is just a, just a, for me. He's just for, for me personally. He's just in another another league, and um, yeah, he's, he's the person who got me into cooking and you know drive. Just that drive is always there, um, and yeah, he's an absolute legend. So it did strike me though when you when you were talking about that concept of, of only as good as the weakest chef, and, and you'd said that to Adam, look, like, if there's people in the kitchen who can't do it, then I don't really want to be here anymore. And I, I can see that the parallels between you and him, and, and like you said there are ways about going about mm. vocalising that these days, which have changed. And we've had pretty much every episode of the pod we've had so far, every chef has said, look, we don't do that anymore. We don't throw pans. We don't yell at people. But you can still have the same ambition without shouting for four hours every service. Well, contradicting what I said about supporting, you know, actually, I've never said I didn't say I supported that, but saying that obviously you wouldn't be able to do that now. When I first came into the industry, I, I didn't like that anyway. I didn't like to be in those environments. Uh, I mean, my first head, was, head chef was a guy called Wayne Thompson, fellow Villa fan, one of the nicest guys I know now. He's coming to my wedding when we get married eventually, whenever that will be. But, um, but no, he, he, I still say quite so close. And if he hadn't taken me into his wing, I would know where near the chef I am today. And that, 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 I know that for a fact because he was a very old school, he was a very old school, he was a very old, old school chef. Uh, with obviously how it had been taught, you know, he'd worked at the Savoy when it when it was the place to be in London, uh, and he'd worked at Claridge's and and, and left right centre down there. And he was a phenomenal chef. But he, he you know he took he wanted to move back home to the Midlands and, and take a good head chef's job with a good wage. Where I first started at Newhall, and he took me under my wing. But there was also certain characters in the in the in the, uh, in the kitchen where he just uh, you know, he obviously I don't know that I didn't really speak to him in that detail, but. He obviously didn't particularly like or, or didn't really get on with it. Or he, just, he just kept on basically messing up all the time. And I think it was just a case of he, he used to lose his rag with them. And if I would mess up, which were very rare in occasions, if I'm being honest, um, he would just actually nurture me and say, no, Tommy, do it like this, this, this and this. And 
it was just i think he put he put his he put his sort of focus into people who he knew it was going to work with and i think he, he he'd obviously gone through him it was, it was he was 36, 38. He'd been a head chef, head chef in 10 years when I was there. Not, not of that particular place, but he'd been a head chef. I think he'd seen so many chefs. They'd wasted his time on it, in his opinion. They'd probably left only three or four months into being a chef to be a bricklayer or something. I think he just, over time, if he'd saw someone he knew he could mentor and actually he could see could go places, I think he put his time and focus in. Unfortunately, I was one of those people. But as a manager... I, I, I've always gone, you know, I've said this to every single person, and, and, and at the start of Adams, I, it, got, it got misinterpreted and got misused, actually. I went in there and said, um, I work on respect and respect only. You know, I, I, I will gain your respect and you will gain mine. You will also, with respect, you will gain my trust, so I will not hover over you. I will not micromanage you. I will allow you to give you freedom of your own space to do the product. I also expect you to ask whenever you need advice. So this is my product. So I don't expect you to know it. In fact, you don't know it. So please listen to what I'm saying. I'll tell you, I'll show you two, three, four, five, six times if I need to until you get it and instruct it and understand it. I said, but there will be no aggression with that or no pressure on that. I don't like pressurized environments. I want guys to flourish. That's how I was. That's how I benefited from, from being managed. I, I managed just to allow me Allow me to do my own thing. Don't pressurise me. Don't put pressure on me. You know, looking over me every ten seconds. I don't enjoy those environments, so I don't want a team that enjoy those environments. So I did when I first took over Adam. He had he had some of his guys who he liked, and Adam's not an aggressive character in the slightest. He's quite a soft character actually, but he, he he his leadership was in one way, and just people taking the piss. So I had to come down a little bit harder on those people, but they they left they left within three or four months, and I wasn't it wasn't when I say harder, I wasn't. I wasn't aggressive with them. What I mean is I, I applied more uh, more um, responsibilities on them and expected them to produce, you know, the product that they weren't. And there's people who were a lot lower and a lot younger than them that were producing a better product. So in essence, I'm just a, I'm just almost bringing the truth to, to their eyes and, and, and saying, listen, Luke's just come out of college, he's 17 years of age, and he's a, he's a better, you know, he's producing a better product than you are because you believe your own hype and, you know, and you're as good as you think you are. So... You either, you know, you either get to get to get to grips with yourself and understand yourself, you know, as good as you think you are, become that person or, or, or fuck off and, 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 and nine out of ten of them this stuff. I think when you're leading your own team, it's it's right that you get your own team and the right mentality. And that's what we got. We got the right mentality of chefs coming in. Really nice atmosphere, lovely camaraderie on the on the team, but they knew when the when the switch had to be turned on, they knew when to turn it on and how to turn it on. Let's sort of tie all that together then and, and when it comes to to preparing to open your own place with management styles, with decor, yeah. uh, with what you've learned about food. What were the key things that you took from, from Michael Wignall, from Sat Baines uh, and from Adam then that you, you, you know, they're all going into the, to the pot to use yeah, yeah. sort of cooking cliche to get no, you to what not. you want. They, they all have their own, they all have their own complete unique styles. I would say I learned, I learned an awful lot of Michael and Sat an awful lot. I didn't with with with, with Adam. You know, it was as I said to you at the very start of the, the very start of it. It was a case of sort of sort of management side as in as a business as opposed to a management side as a kitchen operation. I, you know, we didn't. I didn't see any of the food. You know, was, all the dishes were mine. Adam's completely. Uh, but that's what he paid me to do. So that was, that was my job role there. So as a part of that, I didn't didn't learn too much of him as in as a man to man sort of individual uh, management style or, or even food style. But but for Michael and Satin. There's a link there as well. You know, you've got you've potentially, especially at the time, you know, 2015, 
uh, when I started 2014, sorry, I started at, uh, at, at, at Wignall, uh, and it was just a vast difference. You've got someone who almost utilizes 18, up to 18 elements on a plate with Wignall. And after that, I, I wanted to see the complete opposite spectrum of going to Satsu, who utilized at the time three, four, five elements and focused on, on, on the elements and flavors. I've learned so much from them both massively. Uh, and then even before that, I said, Wayne, I mentioned Ian at the summoning, I learned things off him. Uh, but I think it was just menu development. When you, when you go to a two-star, I think the menu development just, just ups a notch and there's, there's, some real, there's some real understanding and you know, behind the reasons of, of, of doing a tasting menu. It's not just putting 10, 10 dishes together and, and, and just saying, yeah, that's it. You know, there's, there's, a real, there's a real reason why those are there and that's there and that's there. And, with, with, I learned it massively with Michael, and then it even got more emphasized that Sat, I always remember a dish that I ate at Sat, which was a, which was a raw scallop dish with elderflower mayonnaise and strawberry vierge. So it's quite difficult, quite strange. But that sat all over it. You know, he sort of pushes the boundaries. But the reason why it looks like he pushes the boundaries, he just focuses on the ingredients. What I mean by that is people just see a strawberry and automatically dessert. Sat wouldn't. Sat would just see a strawberry, he'd eat it, he'd taste it, he'd go, That'll go really well with this. And all of a sudden, you're just trying this dish, and yeah, he's, he's absolutely right. There's no other ingredient that would work better than that because it brings a sweetness, and umami, a saltiness. And you know, this guy's a genius. But he didn't stop there. He always said, as a menu, it always goes from top to bottom. A lot of people, a lot of chefs will always end on the indulgence. I personally enjoy ending on like a rich dessert because I think you always feel as a customer like your meal's finished. So that would always end on a really light note. Often, it would actually do a full circle around to the beginning. So if you'd start with scallops and strawberries and like a fat in the elderflower with a fatty sort of mayonnaise, creamy texture, he would then end on a, a strawberry dessert with like a fatty ice cream, for instance, like a vanilla ice cream. And he did so much so, he did the dessert that, that was on that menu was actually, um, uh, they were actually tomatoes, cherry tomatoes that he'd rehydrated in strawberry juice. And I just tasted this dessert with vanilla ice cream and it just blew my mind. I was having tomatoes for fucking dessert, which doesn't even make sense. But they taste like strawberries, like so, like really punchy strawberries that they've taken on. They've been dehydrated. So they've been like almost like a grape, like a raisin, and then rehydrated to the nice and plump again. But they're plump, full of strawberry juice. So you eat it and you're getting the seeds and everything. You think, hang on a minute, this is, this is, this is a fucking tomato that tastes like a strawberry. But then you're eating it with vanilla ice cream. <laughs> And, and that that's what I learned. So I'm never going to be able to, I, I, well, not be able to, I wouldn't like to copy that because that's Sat's start, Sat's head, that's Sat's palette. That isn't my palette, that isn't Tom Shepard's palette. So I don't want to do that because it's not me. But it's, it's the learning aspect. Little things from Sat when he always used to put the, used to, used to put the bowls, used to use a lot of bowls in the autumn and winter because it's comforting. And he always used to be warm. All the bowls used to be warm. In the summer, he used to use a lot of plates and salads and, and cold plates. He used to chill the plates down or leave them at room temperature. All your main course plates would be at room temperature in spring, summer. All the main course plates would be heated in autumn, winter. It's just that little thing. So when you be, you know, it's shitty outside, you, know, and you sit down and you have a nice warm bowl of soup, it's, it's comforting. If you had that in the summer, it'd be horrible because it's boiling out outside. Then you've touched the bowl and it's boiling, it was warm soup. <laughs> But until actually someone spells it out to you and shows you and you're part of a team that do that, that operate like that, you don't understand it. And it was the same with Wignall. Wignall was, was more ingredient-led. So I, saw, I used the saw ingredients that I've never used anywhere else in any kitchen in the UK since, since or before uh, working at Wignall's. It was because he, he, he 
completely and utterly open my, my ingredient vocabulary to some of the most exotic ingredients of the world. And he was someone who only focused on the ingredients, uh, not locality again. So he would, we would often have some, some things from France. Uh, we would often have some things from, from like Norfolk, Quail down in Surrey, do you know what I mean? Because he, he, he needed to use those ingredients because that's what his dishes were all about. So I'd definitely say I'd, I'd learned massive amounts from those two chefs just simply because of their whole, their whole sort of food management and design and development that that was what i learned massively from those two and previous chefs but those two are definitely the colossus of, 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 of me learning and understanding my style uh, and, and also it's it's a style that i'm comfortable with now so i uh, my style which i've obviously said earlier but but from, from, a, from an ingredient point of view i'm, I'm massively produce led uh, and, and massively seasonally led and those two uh, are, are, are that entirely. They, they only focus on the season. They get so excited when the new seasons. And I've adopted that massively, and I look forward to the new seasons using the new ingredients and the dishes make themselves in certain in certain scenarios as well. Well, I've put you on the spot a few times during during the course of this podcast, but I'm going to do do so a few more times uh, before we go. The burning issues. So these are our quickfire foodie questions, which we finish every podcast with. Firstly, we're going to start with, we've sort of had a little bit of a twist of this already, but I want your, your ultimate three-course meal. I think, well, where I, uh, it's quite, because obviously when you went earlier, you asked me about my favourite dish in the UK or the additional dish in the UK. I think, to be fair, I think I've eaten in some fantastic restaurants in the world. Um, you know, I went to New York a couple of years ago and, and obviously did Madison Park in Versailles. Um, the, 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 dishes, the dishes in those two restaurants were the best dishes I've ever eaten in my entire life. Um, I, I really left both of those restaurants and I, I really felt that the UK nowhere near the level, uh, that, that, that America or New York or those two restaurants operate in. In my opinion, I, I, I got absolutely blown away, like blown away. Uh, but but the, the whole entire dynamic of it was just incredible delivery, the front of house service, the fact that you sort of almost, you spoilt rotten in there. Uh, you know, you're always made to feel that you're just completely sort of spoiled, basically. I just, I just felt it was incredible. Uh, but I've also eaten at a place called Henna um, in, 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 in Denmark, uh, which is in KRO, uh, and it was just so crow. And it was just insane. One of my best friends, as he's going to be the best man of my wedding, his head chef there, Paul Paul. Uh, Paul Prophet and uh, he's uh, been friends with him for years and we obviously got looked after well and truly there but there's a couple of dishes there that I just I just ate and I was just I was just absolutely blown away and the lob the lobster there was a lobster and tomato consomme dish uh, I I'm a massive fan of lobster never really had a dish that has really elevated lobster to 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 a level where you know you should have taken away and taken back from but they they'd, they'd absolutely smashed it it was just delicious it was the same sort of same sort of feeling like I had with the licorice dish at, at um, you know, Fat Duck, but it was just a dish where I felt I could just, I don't want to stop eating this. Um, I had another dish there, which was a foie, foie gras dish, which they roasted a whole over foie gras. It was a chef at the time called Alan Gates, Alan Bates, and he's gone to studio, and he was just a very phenomenal chef. He's known within the industry. And uh, he, he, he just roasted his whole loaf completely whole on the stove and just carved it for me and Charlotte and uh, just served it with a, with a strawberry uh, sort of meat sauce. And I was, again, I was like that and it was just absolutely insane. Um, and then I'll probably say for, for dessert, there's a dessert that I had, I had the whole, the whole, the whole collection, but uh, per se, they give you a, they give you a table of desserts and there's a couple of classics on there. 
there was obviously the cookies and cream uh, that you have, and it was like the coffees and cream and things. You get like these macaroons and cookies and stuff. We got three or four of the other, other classic desserts on there as well. And I just remember just after that big meal, like I told you about indulgence, um, and I just remember just sitting down and we had a couple of, a couple of sort of pre-dessert meal and the little ones, and then all of a sudden this big tray comes out and the, 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 the guy has been looking after us all night and he's just a phenomenal weight and the, 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 you know, the, the restaurant manager comes out as well and starts putting these plates down, these bowls down and taking lids off and certain things. And I was just like, I just looked at it, like, this is insane. This is three stars, like, all over, isn't it, at the end of the day? Uh, and that, yes, that was my dessert. So, yeah, so lobster to start well, for, for, for Maine and, uh, and, and a plate of desserts for, for dessert. And um, if I would have, yeah, if I could have that every day for the rest of my life, I'll, I'll be a bloody happy man. I wouldn't live very long. Be. But I'll be very yeah, I was going to say, you'd probably die of heart disease, but, you know, yeah. you'd die happy, wouldn't you? Uh, next question then is a dream chef's table. So if you can cook for four people, alive or dead, who would they be? You're allowed one other chef if you want. You don't have to have another chef, but you're so only allowed chef. one. Okay. Um, well, obviously, without a, without a shadow of that, Gordon Ramsay, uh, obviously, he would be he would be completely number one. Um, I had I had quite a few idols sort of growing up, and to be fair, even even like Sat was one of them. And uh, I remember watching Jason Appleton as a young lad. He, he sort of owned Great British Menu when I first started out, and sort of uh, as I owned it, obviously, just did really well. And then Glyn was another one of my chefs who I really, really, uh, really, really liked and looked up to. I think, yeah, I think it's, it's a difficult one uh, to name four, four different chefs because I've got no... Oh, no, just, just, just one chef, one chef, oh, and then three oh. others. So three other celebrities, musicians, family, oh, friends, okay, whatever. So. Oh, that's good. No, it's got, oh, that's perfect. Ramsey. So, yeah, Ramsey, Ramsey without a doubt, yeah. So Ramsey with that, and then three others. I think uh, Lewis Hamilton uh, would definitely be one massive, massive fan of Lewis. Massive fan of Anthony Joshua. Uh, I'll probably say yeah, Lewis Anthony. And um, but yeah, it would be it would be the fourth, fourth one. Um, it's probably just because yeah, I think I mean, I'd love to. I, I you know obviously being a Villa fan, I'd love to. I'd love to put a Villa a Villa player. And I mean, growing up it was Dwight York, but I don't think I'd be. I don't. I'm not bothered about him being a dinner table. Do you know what I mean? It's it's a strange one. I think. Um, oh, who would it be? I, you know what? I'm going to pick. Um, and it was Andy Joshua, Lewis Hamilton, and um, oh, it's a bloody hard on this, mate. Uh, I'll say it's a bit left field. This, to be fair, but I'll probably say Thierry Henry. Okay. Uh, I just he's, he was an idol growing up. Again, you know, he's a football idol. And I just think he's a bloody magician. And uh, again, if I met him, I think I would probably fall over backwards. To be fair, but um, yeah, I think yeah, I'd have Gordon Ramsay. Yeah, I'd probably have Gordon Ramsay, Thierry Henry. Um, Lewis Hamilton and Anthony Joshua to be happy with that, that table. Strong, strong yeah. quartet. Yeah. Uh, next one is is kitchen nightmares. What any particular moments in the kitchen that stand out as being really, really bad for you? Um, yeah, there's, yeah, there's uh, some stuff I won't, I won't be able to tell. I can't tell you. There's, there's a couple of things <laughs> I, I definitely can't tell you. Um, um, oh, I don't know. It, uh, yeah, there's... There's, there's loads, there's loads going through my head. But as I said, there's only a few, there's only a few that I can't. I think, in fact, I'll tell you, I'll tell you one that I that I did personally. This was Adams actually. It was absolutely hilarious. So Adams had this big brat pan. A brat pan is like a huge sort of eighty hundred liter sort of cooking surface that, that's got almost like a, it's a pressure pressure lid, so you can sort of stew and make. We used to make stocks in there. 
Anyway, one Saturday I came in and uh, we were we were in the, we were in the in the mire for, for for a beef sauce. So I remember saying, "It's Mikey, actually, my sous chef." Um, and I remember saying to Mikey, "He was like, chef, can you get it on?" I was like, "Yeah, of course I will." So I remember roasting. I was like, "Get it, got it, got it, turn it full blast." It was like full full heat, and I remember just roasting all this beef off and roasting all the thing. Anyway, I'm 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 quite an old school when I make sauce. I always put sort of uh, brandy in and, and make sure I light it. So um, obviously this this sort of this probably about a meter and a half by about probably about a meter deep by a meter and a half. It's a big big work, you know, big sort of space. And this recipe we did two times recipes. I think it's five hundred mil of brandy. So at the moment that hit that pan. Obviously <laughs> we just completely disintegrated. So anyway, you know, I said you got the blowtorch, and he's like, yeah, yeah, fine, mate. So I got this like this half a liter of brandy. I literally just put it in, torched, it, and it just like made this unbelievable combusted noise. <laughs> And obviously, I went shit. Everyone sort of looked round, and my eyebrow is <laughs> completely gone. My front, my, my top of my fringe is completely gone. There's like singed all my beard, and there's, <laughs> there's, there's, there's a black plume of smoke. And it was right at the start when I was head chef. So Adam used to come in uh, most days when I first started, obviously. And it was a Saturday, and he, and he came out, and he went, "What the fuck?" I said, "Mate, Mike." And as soon as I put my hands up, he, he, he sort of it was amazing actually because he didn't want to have a go at me because I was the head chef. But he really was like, "It's fine. We'll sort it." You know, the whole entire kitchen was black, literally black. <laughs> you could barely see anyone. I just remember thinking, I was like, I've only been here three or four weeks, and what an impression. You know, Burning the place down. Um, yeah, that was, that was definitely one. Yeah, that was, that was one for sure that uh, I look back on. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, final, final question then. Um, is your, your gold nugget, your piece of advice for home cooks, which is obviously don't try and torch half a litre of brandy, but if you give no, it for people... But people who are cooking at home, what's a, a little thing that makes a, a big bit of difference? Uh, cooking, I think, yeah, I think you've got to keep it simple, haven't you, at home at the end of the day? You know, I can't go too extravagant. I think um, one, of the, one of the big factors I often see with a lot of people do at home, they, um, they, 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 you know, they buy these meats, you know, but they buy meat like a steak or something or, or, um, or scallops or whatever, and they, they, they just they get straight out of their fridge. You know, they, they don't season it. They just put it straight into a pan uh, and they cook it and, and they take it out and they, they, they complain that it's tough. And they, you know, they think buying a 28-day dry, dry-aged beef sirloin from, from Asda is, is the way to go. It, it isn't. Let's, let's start from the very beginning. You know, the food, the food, the food, the food, the product of that, the product of food, it starts from the, from the grower. So let's let's start to get a little bit more familiar with with where your meat comes from. I want uh, my my tip to the people at home is is is, is buy low buy locally buy local uh, you know, support your local butchers if it's in this scenario support your boat, boat local butchers or fishmonger. Uh, buy the best you can possibly buy at home. If you're going to have a special night, you know if you're going to have a steak, buy a proper steak from a butcher's that you know where it's come from and, and so on and so forth. Yes, you'll pay, you'll pay a slight premium for it, but the product is far superior. Get it out of the fridge a good hour before you cook it so it comes up to room temperature. Season your meat both sides. Don't overcook it uh, at all. You know, fry it at a real high heat. A lot, of shit, a lot of people at home are scared to get their pans hot. Get your pan nice and hot so it's smoky. Quick fry either side, you know, probably a minute and 30, two minutes either side. Get it onto a plate and rest it for a good five to ten minutes. The heat will still obtain in the middle. It's absolutely fine. But it allows though everything, all that meat to relax, allow, allow the blood to sort of circulate throughout the whole entire meat so it isn't in shock anymore. And when you eat it, you're just going to have a much better dining experience. So, yeah, buy locally, support your local butchers, buy better produce and, and cook it properly. So, again, pull it out of your fridge early doors, season it properly, cook it minimally, 
and allow it to rest on the side, and you'll, you'll just get a, a you just get a product that, that's far superior to the one that you got at Asda. Beautiful. Not not to denigrate Asda though. I mean, I'm sure Asda will be losing thousands of customers now thanks to uh, no, 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 no. But yeah, yeah <laughs> I don't want to say. But yeah, especially occasion. Yeah, but at least, yeah, yeah. You, 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 you beef often from New Zealand and you know, and so it's 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 environment. Let's, let's look after the environment. Let's just walk down to your local shop and pick up pick up one that's locally sourced. There's, 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 we've got the best brick beef in, in in the world in England. So why are we getting it from New Zealand? Do you know what I mean? So um, so yeah, simple as that. Good man. Thank you so much for joining us. It's been a great pleasure to talk to you. Um, I think we'll probably just end by saying up the villa, don't we? And uh, hopefully the, the football will go well and the restaurants will open and one day I'll be able to come to Litchfield and enjoy your first place on your own. Absolutely, boss. Top man. Tom, Thank thanks so much indeed. Back with another episode next week. Bye for now.